thinking about tomorrow, and I'm not thinking about a particular tomorrow, as if tomorrow's date is particularly important, but thinking about the future. Um, I want to ask a question, and uh, glad to have you uh, to chat online, um, as well as uh, shout out in the room. When might it be hard to give enough attention to tomorrow or to the future? When is it that, oh, I should really think about the future, but that's actually kind of hard. When might that happen? What are examples of that? My checking account is overdrawn. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, there's a future. Our checking account is overdrawn. I don't want to think about the challenge I'm going to face tomorrow. Yeah, when it's not the way I want it. Good. Other examples of, of why it might be hard to think about tomorrow, to give enough attention. Sure, loss of a loved one when the pain that we are experiencing is so great it's hard to think forward, especially to times without the loved one. Sure. Yeah, pain and suffering, especially when we say, I'm not sure there's any relief out there. Yeah. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> when there's too much work to get done. And we won't talk negatively about teachers, because I'm sure they're doing their best. Uh, but yeah, when it feels like there's so much, and it's just hard to think to the deadline that uh, all this we have to do. Yeah. Oh, well, there's so much more delightful things to do today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to think about t- tomorrow when today I want just to keep going on. <laughs> and I'd rather not step into that. Yeah. Facing uh, a tough situation today. Yeah, when we're in trouble, it's hard to think It's hard to think forward. Um, yeah. You're not sure that you're going to get to, to tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, not even sure that tomorrow is there. Yeah, really hard to, to face that. Yes. Yeah. When when I am flooded with the challenges of today. Yeah. Yeah. How about the other way? Um, when might it be hard not to give too much attention to tomorrow in the future, to actually live today? When is it that we're so focused on tomorrow that we hardly even live today? We anticipate all those delightful things. <laughs> yeah. When tomorrow just looks fantastic. Today is hard, but tomorrow, and so we keep thinking about what will be much better. Ah. Uh, yes. Yeah, thinking ahead to to when a burden is passed, when the semester is over, when the degree has been earned. It's all easy after that. It, nobody told you that. Life just gets... No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, other, other ways that it might be hard not to give too much attention to tomorrow. Have a lot of small children. <laughs> yeah, a lot of small children. And think, yeah, tomorrow, just imagine when they take care of themselves. And, yeah. When uh, my dad tells a story, um, when his dad was in the uh, in the military, uh, he would come home and visit for a short period of time, for a matter of a couple of days, and he'd just be so much looking forward to that day when he would come home, so excited the day his dad would come home, and the day his dad got home, he started to dread the day his dad would leave. So he hardly enjoyed the time that his dad was home because now it means I'm another day closer to his departure. When we think about the challenges of the world, it's hard to manage our attention in good ways. Now, Jesus promised to return to earth. He said, there's a day when I'm coming back, right? And and Christians have struggled to say, how do we make sense of that? How do we think about that? And uh, an interesting thing is we know a little bit about what Jesus thought. Um, There's a time when Jesus wondered, 
when he comes back, will there still be people looking forward to it? <laughs> or they have forgotten about me? An interesting thing. He says, well, they'd be so busy with everything that they've forgotten that I'm even coming. We want to think a bit today about Jesus' return. A key promise that he gave. He said, I'm going to come back someday. And how are we to make sense of that today? We're in our rotation of uh, celebrating communion together. And each month we take a different part of, the, of, of God's good news to us and give that attention. And to this month this is a month to think about the end of history, the time when Jesus returns. And we want to know how do we think about this and how does this shape how we live today. So let's pray and ask for his teaching today. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can know you and be known by you. And Jesus, thank you that we have uh, your teaching and the teaching that you gave through uh, the apostles. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would use those words to help us, to shape us. We ask that you would encourage us today and give us courage that we would boldly walk in the ways you call us to. We thank you that, uh, that you are our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts and do your work for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title today is Remembering Tomorrow. We'll talk about this drawing in a little bit. And uh, once again, I'm just trying a new pattern of things. I won't have the text on the screen. So you'll want to have a Bible in front of you. And, and there are some on the tables. People might help grab those. Or if you have one already, um, if you get one of the Bibles from the tables, it, it already has the passage marked in it. First Thessalonians is just this little letter. There are two of them uh, that's over almost all the way through the, uh, the Bible uh, toward the right end. First uh, Thessalonians 4. And uh, there are also handouts in the, uh, in the bulletin today and in the link for the email. Um, while you're finding that, uh, let me just say a little bit about the Apostle Paul's connection with this Thessalonian church. He is the one who wrote this letter. And uh, this is information we get from Acts 17. But this was a city uh, in a Roman province. Um, and it's a city that had some Jews and many Gentiles, many Greeks, uh, the non-Jewish people. Um, and we're told that uh, for three Sabbaths, Paul went to the synagogue, the Jewish gathering place. And for three weeks, three Sabbaths, he, he taught them. He explained things to them. And in particular, we're told, he explained to them that God's promised one had to suffer. That God's promised one had to die. Because they didn't think this was true at all. They thought when God's promised one shows up, he's going to have the best possible life. Like when a, a prince shows up or a dignitary comes and, and everything is good for them. <laughs> he said, no, actually, when God's chosen one comes, it's going to be hard. He's going to suffer. In fact, he's going to die and he's going to live again. And uh, we're told that um, it was three Sabbaths, but I think we should really understand this as three weeks. It wasn't just in the formal gathering. He, he taught many times, and we're told that a bunch of people, Jewish and non-Jewish, believed. And in fact, we're also told that a, a number of prominent women believed. Uh, this was a, a good response over a three-week period, but then persecution started. 
then it became so challenging that the, the believers had to just sneak Paul away, uh, figure out how to get him out of the city because they were concerned he was going to get hurt by staying there. We're not told the conversation, but they managed to convince him to go on his way. Uh, and so he went on his way, left some trouble behind, uh, and then later on, he wanted to know more about what was happening. And so he sent a man named Timothy to find out how are things going? Uh, how are things going in uh, the church in uh, Thessalonica? And Timothy brought a report to them, uh, back to him. And he said, in general, they're doing great, but you know what? You weren't there very long, and they need more instruction. <laughs> They've got a bunch of questions. And so Paul wrote a letter to say, here's some answers to the questions that you had. Now, let me just say a word about a little bit of the theology that we'll see unfold in this. And so the first is about death. Let me just say this. Most Jewish people believed there was life after death. Most Jewish people thought when you die, eventually there's a time when there will be life again. And uh, we've started looking in the book of Daniel, and Daniel very clearly talks about this resurrection. And so most Jewish people believed that there would be life after people die. Not a lot of definition of it, but there would be life. But most Greeks thought death was the end. That when you die, it's over. So it was a diverse community, and they had different ideas. <laughs> some said, of course there's a resurrection, and some thought, no, this is it when you die. And so Paul had clearly taught them a bit about the resurrection. About Jesus' promise to return to earth, they had heard that too. But maybe, maybe some of them thought, well, here's where we live. In the future, Jesus will come back. And then in the future, there will be a resurrection. Right? Because Jesus says, I'm going to come back to earth. The way you saw me leave, I'm going to come back. And maybe they thought, okay, we live here on earth. In the future, Jesus will come back to earth. Then maybe they thought, and then after that, there will be a resurrection. So here's the problem. What if somebody died before Jesus came back? Well, they might not live to see him return because they re- they're not brought back to life again until the resurrection. So some of them got really worried when anybody died. It's like, oh no, it's going to be great when Jesus comes back. <laughs> but they're going to miss it, and we're going to miss them. They're not going to be a part of this. Someday there will be a resurrection, but they might miss when Jesus comes back. So they were really distressed about people who had died. And maybe some of them were feeling like they weren't going to live very long. <laughs> and now they're afraid, oh no, I'm going to die, and I will miss when Jesus returns. So there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of concern. Although maybe there were also some people who said, you know what, that day when Jesus returns, it's so far out there, why worry about it, right? And I think if we did a poll of most people who believe that Jesus will come back someday, most of us might fit into that last category (laughs) that says, well, yeah, I believe it's going to happen. It hasn't happened in 2,000 years. What are the chances it's going to happen in the next 20 or 30 or 40, right? We kind of think, maybe I'm not going to spend much time thinking about it because I'm not sure it's going to happen now. And it seems that some of them thought that too. So given that mixture, which probably reflects a bit of the mixture for us, let's look at what Paul wrote. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to do it in two parts. Uh, Verse 13, um, I have a heading that says, Believers who have died. 
So 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So stop there for a second. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to be sure that you have an understanding of these things. I want to be sure that we're clear. And he says that when people sleep in death, now I have to tell you something, that the New International Version helps us a little bit. Maybe your translation doesn't say in death, it just says sleep. (laughs) And that's what the Greek says. It just says those who sleep. But it's right that this translation helps us by saying sleep in death. This is not just going to bed at night and yeah, talk to somebody today. Boy, I had good night's sleep the last couple of nights. That's not the kind of sleep we're talking about, <laughs> right? This is this is death. He says, but don't grieve about people who have died, because we believe that just as Jesus came back from the dead, Jesus will be the one who brings those who trust in Him back to life, right? So we live here. Someday Jesus will come back. He says the resurrection isn't some later thing. No, when Jesus comes. That's the resurrection. And he says the first thing Jesus is going to do when he comes back, he's, he's going to give a loud shout. What did we sing today? The, the roar of the lion, right? The roar of the lion says those who have died in Christ will come to life. And we don't know a lot about this. How does that work when bodies have decayed? And they knew bodies decayed. But somehow God will, will bring back bodies to life. He says, that'll be the first thing that he does. With this roar of heaven, he'll bring them to life. And then he says, we'll all be caught up together. And there's so many questions in this, right? Uh, people try to figure out, well, if Jesus has come to earth, then he, does he turn around and go back to heaven and take people with him? Does he keep traveling to earth? And all sorts of great questions. Now is not the time to dig into that. But he, he says, this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes. He's going to bring people back to life. And when he does that, He says, we're all going to be caught together in the air to meet him. And so so Paul says the Christians who have died will fully participate in the joy of Jesus Christ's return to earth. In fact, they'll be first in line. So he says, this should be a great hope. Now, I want to just highlight it again because we're going to see sleep is used differently in a minute. This sleep is death, which in fact is a pretty good way to talk about this kind of death. Because it's not final. With the roar of the lion, we will be awakened to live again. Uh, When Jesus returns with his victory shout, it will awaken those who are asleep. And so he says, we will grieve. And, you know, this is a text that um, it's it's a common one to use at a funeral. Um, And uh, one of the things I've thought about is sometimes there are texts that only get used at a funeral or a wedding. 
And I want to bring it into our daily experience to say, this is great hope. So we are prepared. When someone dies who is a Christian, it's appropriate that we grieve, that we're sad about this, that, that we're going to miss them, and, and, and there's a loss that we experience, and that's good, and that's right to experience loss. And yet he says, because of the resurrection, we can grieve with hope. That at the bottom of that grief is the confidence that this isn't the end. It might be a long time. There might be a lot of questions and difficulties between now and then. But it is a bit like come November in Michigan and the winter is coming. And we say, oh, I'm not looking forward to those dark days and all that bad weather. And But you know, when it comes to be March, we have a confidence that says it might snow but pretty soon it's going to be done. Winter's going to lose, right? And this is what he says, that if it's in the fall and you say, oh no, this is the death of somebody I love, it still hurts. But he says, we know, we have a confidence that on the other side of this is the resurrection. And we have confidence. And we have this hope because we will join with them together when Jesus returns. So he says, I want you to know this. And he says, encourage each other with this. Because some of us, are weighed down by the problems of the world and we're weighed down by our own decay and the decay of people we love and it hurts. He says, encourage each other. Say, you know what? On the other side of this is the return of our Savior who with the roar of a lion will call to life again those who have trusted in him. So then, chapter 5, verse 1. The title I have is The Day of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So stop there for a second. So he he shifts gear and says, some people are trying to figure out, so when will Jesus return? And he said, I've taught you this before, but I'm going to say it again. This is a pretty gentle rebuke. (laughs) He says, you're again trying to guess when's it going to be? Some of you are watching the news and saying, oh, it looks like the end is going to be now. It's like, oh, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You can't predict it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't even know when it's going to be, but it'll come. And he says, some are going to be very surprised by it. Some are going to say, life's just going to keep going on, and then the end will come and surprise them. And like labor pains for a pregnant woman, don't know when they're going to start. You know it's coming don't know when it'll start. And once it starts, there's no stopping it. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) He says, this is what the end will be like. 
We don't know when it's going to start. We know it'll be challenging. But, he says, you don't need to be surprised by it. In fact, we have hope. Because of this promise, he says, you've been appointed not to, to endure wrath, but to have life. Right? Christians who are still living are promised that they will join Jesus' salvation. He says, you don't have to predict the time just right in order to be a part of it. You, you don't have to be perfect in all that you do to be a part of it. What you need to do is to trust. So here, sleep is different. This time, sleep is not death. He says sleep is being so caught up in this life that we forget about Jesus' return. Right? He says that there are some people who are asleep, even though they're part of this group that's still living, and they're forgetting about what the future is. Now, I'm not talking about the forgetting that says if you know somebody gave you a quiz, do you say, is Jesus going to come back? And it's like, oh, I can't remember the answer to that question, right? We know the right answer, but it's not shaping us. It's not shaping what we do. He says there are people who are asleep because they're so preoccupied with the here and now that the return of Jesus is irrelevant. Now, he goes on to say, in verse 10, this wonderful statement, he died, he died for us, so that whether we are asleep, awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And so people really struggle with this. <laughs> so which kind of awake and asleep are we talking about here? And I think we just have to say it's, it's probably a combination. Whether we are living when Jesus returns or we're dead when he returns, we'll be with him. And perhaps, and there's some interesting ways to explore this, Perhaps it means that if we've trusted him and yet we've gotten distracted, even so, he is our savior, will take us to be with him. See, Jesus is good news. He's good news for the whole of experience of life and death. Right? If we're living, he's good news. If we've died, he's good news. If we're discouraged and enduring trouble, if we'll trust him, he is good news. He says that Christians who are still living are living right now, we are promised that we will join Jesus' salvation when he comes. And so we are to live with joyful anticipation. He says, encourage each other and build each other up with this. There are dark days, and yet he is coming. And the news is great. And we will join together with all those who have died before us, who have trusted in him. So the big idea, Jesus will return to earth. He said it so clearly. He said, as, as I leave, I will come back. And we're told this was the promise. As you saw him go, he will return. And when he returns, he will bring joy-filled life to those in Christ, both those who have died and those who still live in him. This is the hope. Jesus will return. Sometimes, this is what life feels like. Sometimes, it feels like darkness is descending, like darkness is all around, like uh, a kind of darkness, I've just been reading in Exodus, uh, that the plague of darkness that God sent on Egypt, he says it was a darkness that could be felt. And sometimes, sometimes the dark deeply troubles us. And sometimes it's death itself. Right? Sometimes it's the death of somebody we love or facing our own death or the tragic deaths of what we've just seen on campus. And the dark deeply troubles us. And, and death is kind of the extreme version, but it, it fits also with just the troubles of life. 
And the reality is that some days we are just deeply troubled by the brokenness of the world. And it's right to grieve these things. It's right to be angry that the world is so messed up. The question is, where do we find hope in this? And sometimes it's hard to hope because all we can see is the trouble all around and a darkness that can be felt. But another problem is that sometimes the present intoxicates us. He says people are getting drunk. And and perhaps it meant literally that, but I think this is a metaphor for people for whom the current life is just all filled up. And they don't have time or space to think about Jesus' return. So, question, do you long for Jesus' return? Do I long for his return? So, years ago, when Karen and I were uh, engaged to get married, I lived in California. She lived here in mid-Michigan. And there was no such thing as email. I'm sorry to shock some of you with this. It was a long ways away, and once a week, we could afford to do a telephone call. Once a week, right? This was at 11 o'clock at night, my time, and you know, you'd buy these little cards and put in all these digits on the phone, and I longed for that end, right? I longed for the day that, that there would be a better connection between us than listening to a sound on a phone once a week and reading mail that came unless there happened to be a national holiday and they chose not to deliver mail that day. (laughs) I longed for that to end. And if I'd gotten to a point where I say, oh, that's right, yeah, we're going to get married. Oh, but I'm so busy right now. (laughs) Right? If my life had gotten filled up, if Karen's life had gotten filled up and say, well, I I kind of forgot that that was coming. Right? We would say something's wrong. (laughs) Do we long for Jesus' return? And sometimes we do get filled up with other things. Is it hard to take time to focus on him? I don't know. This is my life. Is it hard to take time to pray? Right? It's pretty easy to say, well, you know what? I'd pray, but there's some really cool things happening right now, and I can't even stop myself from thinking about it, right? And sometimes the pleasures of life fill up our attention so that we don't want to spend time thinking about Jesus and his return. Sometimes it's to-do lists and goals to accomplish. And this is a challenge that I face. Oh, I should take some time to worship God. How much time can I afford to do that today? Because you should see the set of things I have to do, right? And I'm challenged by this reality. And maybe for you, it's social media and the news. It's like, yeah, I should spend some, some time really listening to God and his word but boy, there's some stuff that's really got my attention and I want to I read more about it. I'm going to learn and I'm going to respond and so that's good and, and there's good in that. And yet sometimes it crowds out our thought of our Savior. Sometimes it's our hurts and our griefs, our regrets, our hopes. And here's something that I've learned. Even sometimes it's ministry activities and priorities. And we say, here's stuff that needs to get done. I would take time to pray, but there's important stuff for the kingdom I got to do, right? Right? And how often, I don't know how often this happens to you, but this is a real struggle, I think, for a lot of us. Because the return of Jesus can seem out there a ways. And there's a lot that takes our time and our attention. I I was in a, um, uh, I guess it was in Romania. I was meeting with a group of pastors many years ago. 
And they asked me this question. Who do you think sings songs about Jesus' return? Who is it that say, oh, here's a song. Let's sing this song because it's about the time when Jesus comes back. And he says, his theory was, it's people who are suffering. People who are suffering say, oh, when will Jesus come back? And people who are ambitious, who have things that they find satisfying in life, their needs are being met. This isn't the first kind of song they look to sing. Who are the people who long for his return? And so this is a question. Are we so caught up in this life that we forget about Jesus' return? Not that we can't answer the answer on, the quest, on a test, but there's very little space in our lives to say, I long for, I long for the Savior to come back to his people. And so rather than darkness, sometimes we are in the night. And yet, if you can see down hidden behind the hill is the rising sun, right? For those who trust in Jesus and long for him, this night or this day, however we deal with it, will end. For some of us, it feels like a dark night and we're longing for the sun to rise. And for some of us, these days feel like daytime. This is a good time. I'm thankful for it. And we don't feel the pressure for Christ's return. When we recognize the hope of Jesus' return, then we say physical death is just temporary. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. But for those in Christ, it's just a temporary thing. The troubles that we experience in life are only partial, no matter how bad they are. Because of his return, they are temporary and partial. And all occupations, right? And I say occupations by whatever occupies our souls, they are secondary compared to Jesus. Because the hope is that Jesus' return will bring a greater joy by far than anything else. See, Jesus will return to earth bringing joy-filled life to those who are in Christ, no matter what darkness or light we encounter, when we are shaped by the hope of his return. So uh, another thing that came up is people are looking at uh, formally joining the church is looking at our doctrinal statement. So here's a very short statement that's, that's a part of, of what we say together that we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. Right? This is saying we believe that Jesus Christ will come back personally, not as a force or an idea, but personally, with his will, his personality, his, his being. He will do it bodily, it's not just, oh, I, I feel a presence, and, and that's a real thing right now, to feel the presence of God. But it won't just be that. He will in his body. What, a, what a, an astounding thing that'll be for Jesus to be physically present. And it'll be glorious. It'll be filled with the presence and the goodness of God. We don't know when it is. And so because of that, like we read in this passage, we should not be surprised. Now, I don't think this means that every day, we're supposed to say, oh, maybe today's the day. So here's what I ought to do different because today might be the day, right? I don't think we have to have that kind of expectancy. But when it comes, we should have the attitude that says, I knew it was coming, right? It's it, maybe today, it may be tomorrow, maybe in a hundred years, I don't know. But when it comes, I've been living, assuming that it's coming, that he is coming. And so then it motivates us to godly living, to sacrificial service and to energetic mission. This shouldn't keep us from working well in the world. It should drive us to work well in the world. 
to know him and to follow him and to do his will here while we await his coming. See, application, two parts. The first is to let our grief be shaped by hope in Jesus' return. Grief is real, and it is good when there is loss, when there is decay, when there is brokenness. It's good to grieve, and yet whatever we grieve should be shaped by the hope of Jesus' return. So whether it's another's death or our own death, whether it is the, the troubles, the hurts, the disappointments, the regrets, whatever it is, it's good to grieve these things. And yet we should grieve them shaped by the hope that this isn't the end. This is not the whole picture. It's not even the big picture. The big picture is Jesus returns. And when he does, oh, the joy that we will have. And so we are to choose to trust in Jesus' plan for the future. So I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like. But my heart says, come, Lord Jesus. Because what a day of rejoicing that will be. So we're to let our grief be shaped by hope in Jesus' return. We're also to have our life be shaped by hope in Jesus' return. The way we live should be shaped by that. This is by obeying God's commands and purposes. He says, here's what I want done. And we say, well, you're coming back. You're, you're in charge. You're the authority, so I will do what you say. And then I think especially is not being intoxicated with life. What I mean by that is that sometimes our hope in Jesus' return gets crowded out of our heart and our mind. There's not much room for it. Right? We, we say, yeah, I know that's out there and it's a good thing, but there's so much that's already filling my heart and my mind. There's hardly even a room to anticipate that. Sometimes it's our past. The regrets and griefs are just so real and so big that, that they're not shaped by this hope. Sometimes it's our present, the, the pleasures, the pains, the fears, the activities, the relationships, so many good things, some hard things. But in these, sometimes we're occupied. There's no room in the inn, so to speak. Our lives are so filled with these things that there's no anticipation for Jesus in his return. And sometimes it's our hopes, our worries, as we look toward uh, the future, when we look toward what we long for. Right? And some of us say, well, it'd be great for Jesus to return, but oh, I've got some stuff I'm looking forward to, and I hope he waits until right, there's something, until the marriage happens, or there are kids, or graduation. We say, maybe he could hold off for a bit, because there's stuff we, we want to do first. Right? Sometimes we get occupied by other things. We have a hard time thinking to the future. So um, I have a little object to show you. If you happen to read the weekly emails, um, this is your reward for doing it. Because I mentioned something in the email, so I'm going to show you. Here it is. This lovely bicycle that's been hanging in our garage since I was a kid. And this is the coolest Stingray bike with a banana seat, those wonderful handlebars. This is beautiful. This was my present. I'd ride it around, but the tire's a little flat. Um, oh, no. Um, this was a present for my parents. Can't remember what birthday it was, but I have to tell you the story about it. My dad said, we're getting this bike for you today. And they have a red one and a blue one. You can have the red one now, but the blue one you have to wait till this evening. And I wanted the blue one. Notice what color the bike is? 
I was so preoccupied with getting a bike now that I could not wait until the evening. Right? I was so preoccupied. I've just got to have it. There it is. I couldn't hold off to the evening. And so here I am decades later, and I still have the red bicycle, thinking, I wish, I wish I'd gotten the blue one. I wish I'd had the courage to say, wow, I can look forward to something rather than saying I've got to have it right now. Right? I was intoxicated with having a bicycle. It stopped me from thinking clearly. Right? So I wonder... What's your bicycle, right? What is it that you say, here's what I need to have and it's going to fill my mind and my heart and waiting for Jesus? I'm not sure I can wait that long, right? And so for me, my red bike stands as an example of the time when I say, I'm so filled, preoccupied with what I want now that the thought of waiting for Jesus, I'm not sure I can wait that long. Now, the reality is also that those who are not children of God will be surprised by the return of Jesus in a very bad way. And this is a sobering reality. He says it'll be like a thief of the soul, right? And and this is a sober claim of Christianity. And if there were one that I could change, this this would be one of them. that says, could you make it so it's not quite like a thief? Could the thief call ahead and say, um, you know, I'm about to come. Now would be a good time to, to think about Jesus. But actually, he's already done that. He's given phone calls over and over and over again. We don't want anyone to have a bad surprise. When Jesus returns, we're driven to say, you, you need to know this great gift, this great hope that we have. And to recognize it's a challenge. I find it challenging to put my hope that far out. We all find that challenging. And yet this is what faith is. To have our lives shaped by the hope of his return. See, Jesus will return to earth bringing joy-filled life to those who are in Christ. No matter the darkness we encounter, when we are shaped by the hope of his return. And so, Paul said, encourage one another and build each other up. He says, encourage people with this. Give comfort in suffering. Give people hope. And also give courage to be bold, to live according to this, to trust in this, that we are to remember the future when Jesus will come back. And so he says, encourage each other when you look to the future to be shaped by Jesus' return with life and peace and joy for all who are trusting in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for your good plans, for your people, and for all creation. And we thank you for sharing those plans with us. We thank you for the hope that is ours, that Jesus will return. And all that is messed up and broken, the death and decay and destruction, he will solve. And we long for that day. We pray that you'd help us to have our grief and our lives be shaped by this hope. We pray that you would help us to grow in our confidence in you. And for any who are uh, a part of our time together today, that, that you who have yet to truly trust in you, I pray that you would move in their hearts to, to put their trust completely in Jesus because of this great hope. And I pray that you'd use us to do that work in the lives of many. For the glory of our Savior 
and the joy of all who know him. In his name we pray. Amen.